and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 51. Well, I hesitate to call it a very special episode of Parallel, but it is somewhat special because instead of waiting two weeks from the last time we did an episode, we're only waiting one because there's some pretty important Apple news that, that frankly, I would love to have had on last week, but for reasons that I'll, I'll talk about shortly... That wasn't possible. However, uh, I have two great guests with me who are going to talk with me about the new accessibility features that Apple has been previewing and which will be making their appearance later in versions of Apple's various operating systems. And uh, they talked a little bit about this on the Mac Accessibility Roundtable podcast, where I'm also a panelist, but was not last week. And so I'll be linking to that. But we're going to have our own discussion here. And uh, let me introduce them to you. Uh, first up, Mr. Steve Sazen. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be back. It's great to have you back. Also a returning visitor, it's Robin Christofferson all the way from the UK. Hello. Hello. Thanks, Shelley. I kind of want to talk about the where this Apple preview stuff that we now have fits into the way that Apple generally announces things and also the way they announce accessibility products, because this is fairly unusual. So Global Accessibility Awareness Day was May 20th, which is a week week or so ago as we record this. Apple, along with many companies, do something to commemorate GAAD every year. And usually in the case of Apple, it's um, highlighting something new that's on the homepage of the accessibility homepage or getting a bunch of accessibility apps all rounded up and saying, here's some great things you can do with accessibility. And just generally highlighting things that they're already doing. And Apple, in general, is not one that's known for previewing software features ahead of, oh, I don't know, their Worldwide Developers Conference, which is coming up very early next month. Uh, But they did this time. In addition to the usual sort of, hey, it's GAAD, this is great, we got some previews of some very specific accessibility features, one of which even has a video. And I'd love to hear what you guys think about that, because from my point of view, this is kind of a big deal that they chose to make these announcements this way. I agree. I think it's definitely a huge, big deal. Um, I've never seen them do that before. I'm certainly glad to see them doing it now. The other thing I really like, though, Shelley, and you sort of touched on this, is that when there is Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Apple will often um, spotlight some of the apps in the store that um, have kind of gone above and beyond to incorporate accessibility or that are accessibility-related apps. And what I love about that personally is that, you know, while they do a lot of accessibility-related stuff, they're not sort of hogging all the glory. They're sharing it with the developers on their platform who have kind of gone above and beyond and demonstrated a an, ex- an understanding of accessibility and how to incorporated and i you know i think from the perspective of a developer how cool would it be to um to get apple to spotlight my app you know i just think it's great that they're willing to uh acknowledge the third-party contributions uh that people are making to the uh to to their accessibility effort Mm. there i mean these announcements are um, in proportion, I think, to the fact that this is the 10th anniversary of Guard, which, um, you know, whose impact cannot be underestimated, I think. It's been uh, really impactful and the cause of accessibility or inclusive design, I think, has been greatly advanced by those guys, Joe and Jenison, you know, 10 years ago, having a really good idea. So uh, it's brilliant that the likes of Apple and Microsoft have made some big announcements this, uh, you know, Guard Day. Um but I think because it's the 10th anniversary, they felt that they had to do something a little bit special, a little bit different. And that includes very unusually, like you say, pre-announcing or previewing what's going to be coming up, albeit only like a week later or so at WWDC for some of them. Um, there will be developer angles to some of these new uh, accessibility features. Um, but for me, they, you know, all of them, I think, are super cool really really good and some of them will mean the difference between someone who's never been able to use for example an iDevice before finally being able to you know get on the part with the party so I think this is fantastic these are not little kind of um, tweaks and you know incremental improvements these are huge in some cases yeah it is a big deal and I don't mean to underestimate the importance of of gad 
in the whole stream of things because it really is a big deal. And the people who created it, I think we're focusing a lot on digital accessibility. So how do we make sure that websites and other digital content is accessible? But a lot of big companies, including Apple, fairly early on got on board to say, well, this is how we're going to highlight, as Steve said, not only what we do in accessibility, but what our developers do. And Apple, it also should be noted, has given design awards to accessibility-focused apps, the kinds of apps that they put in the highlight section of the App Store for GAAD are not always just, okay, this is an app a blind person would use for doing blind person things. This is an app that is accessible and is a good example of following accessibility guidelines, but that it also has perhaps a special purpose for somebody who who has a disability. And they've always done that. And I only minimize that in the sense that when you have a big event like this, uh, there's a tendency for me, who who is a, who is a skeptical human, to look and see, well, what is a, what is this corporation actually doing, and what, what how are they actually enhancing the cause of accessibility on this important day, other than just sort of rearranging the stuff that they've already produced. And this year, especially, I think Robin's right; they have gone above and beyond in terms of giving us an indication of what's coming. And and again, as Robin said, providing some features that are actually going to make the difference between somebody being able to use these products and not being able to, which is a little bit different than just, oh yeah, we've done voiceover something, something, point two. You know, I, I think Apple can read my mind. They have some special technology because I'm a huge skeptic. I've always been a skeptic and, and frankly, it comes apart, you know, around, it comes about in part by being let down a lot. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm totally blind and I've had companies promise things that haven't been delivered in terms of accessibility. I've had high hopes I'd be able to access things that I've never been able to access. And so, you know, years ago, back when voiceover first came out, I was probably one of the um, uh, biggest Apple skeptics. I just, I didn't think they'd do it. Totally didn't think they'd do it. I told Apple directly, I didn't think they'd do it. Um, and of course they did. And every time I get a little bit skeptical, I don't know how they do this, but Apple always is like, oh darn it, there's Steve getting all skeptical again. Let's do something really amazing and just shut him up. And every single time, and I love it, it's fantastic. They are one of the extremely few companies who I've, I've, I can't be skeptical about. They just keep you know, going above and beyond. And what I love about that is that above and beyond part that, you know, they didn't just build accessibility and sort of go on to other things, but they keep raising the bar and they keep, you know, year over year, they keep doing that. And that's the really, really amazing stuff. I really commend them for uh, their willingness to do that, their ability to do that and the way they inspire other people to do that. I mean, it's all about innovation and Apple really showcases that each and every single time. I get asked a lot by people in the mainstream press, tell me how Apple's doing as far as accessibility. And some people are looking for a box score and some people are looking to have their assumptions confirmed because even people in the mainstream world know that Apple has a reputation for good accessibility products and so and, and support of accessibility within their other products. And so a lot of people want that confirmed for them, even if they don't know or don't frankly take the time to find out what that means. So that I can hear the question and the pleading in their voice when they say, isn't Apple still leading the pack? And I always am really honest and straightforward, and I say, well, here are the places where Apple continues to have a broad lead, and here's why. Here are the places where other companies have either made inroads or they've simply you know, updated their own accessibility so that it's up to snuff, so to speak. So sometimes I'm able to confirm that for people and sometimes I'm not. And I, I do wish sometimes that folks in the mainstream would listen more carefully when we express both praise and negative comments toward Apple, because I do think there are going to be some people out there who will hear what you just said, Steve, and say, see, Apple's amazing, and kind of let them off the hook when they do not, when they disappoint us. But there are others who are going, and as you'll see as we go through some of these announcements, there are other instances in which Apple does something that frankly, is not on my radar because I don't have the disability that they're focusing on in this particular case. They add a category of accessibility that is important, but that a fairly small number of people 
have been vocal about or whose opinions have been heard. And they're doing it, uh, as as I like to say, through, as, as you said, Steve, through their innovation. It's not simply, mm-hmm. let's check the boxes. But in the case of the assistive touch for Apple Watch that we'll get to, they've actually done very innovative things in giving you a new way to interact with your watch that's completely different than what's been possible before. And that's that's pretty impressive. Which all of us can use, by the way. Yes. Just like all the other accessibility features, we would invite people to have a play. Uh, you know, we're not all kind of cookie cutter people, all different, all the same. We're all different shapes and sizes. Um, don't s- settle for the out-of-box um, experience when it comes to an iDevice or a computer. Have a play and, you know, make it perfect for you, optimized for your particular needs. Um, there's huge benefit in some of the accessibility features from, you know, hotkeys on a computer, which, you know, you've done the particular function before the other guy has even half reached for the mouse, let alone dragged that arrow, clicked that, drop down a menu, click another thing. Um, through to, you know, driving by voice, you know, that was a disability related thing, as was the hotkey um, requirement that Microsoft added on um, and Apple soon followed after. And, you know, this is stuff that will make everyone's experience of their devices better. And I can't wait for us to talk about the assistive touch options that are coming that are just going to make driving our watches super cool. And we can all do that. The last thing I'll say, just to put on my pundit hat a little bit, is that it was fascinating to me that they talked about products in this forum so close to Worldwide Developers Conference, which begins on June 7th. And accessibility has, especially a couple of years ago, had a really big year at different Worldwide Developers Conferences. Other times, the announcements have come later in the week or at the platform State of the Union. But I remember when voice control was announced, which, of course, is the last WWDC that, that, that was in person and that I got to go to it got a big presence on stage. And and some people, and I don't know whether this is the case or not, but I, I kind of tend to agree. Some people think that these announcements were important to Apple, but they also knew there wasn't going to be time in their WWDC presentation to necessarily give them justice. And so if this is what we get before WWDC, I, you have to wonder what everybody is going to get, including people who use accessibility features at WWDC, and and I just and I, I tweeted this because I spent my Global Accessibility Awareness Day, interestingly enough, in a conference on digital accessibility. So I didn't actually have a chance to dig into these announcements or to be on Mac Accessibility with you guys. And so I just tweeted out, "Wow, this is so amazing that that Apple has has done this." Because I, I given you know my skepticism has often been about Apple's communication strategy, about their willingness to share with us what their plans are for accessibility every time you come up with a new product or a significant enhancement to a product. The question isn't with Apple, is it going to be accessible? The question is, are they going to get to the accessibility as quickly and as well as we would like them to? And there, is, there are people, and there are also people like you, Steve, who have been disappointed. And you can tell that when a new thing comes out and there's no proof of life as far as accessibility comes in the first place, that people get nervous and they get upset because they've committed themselves to using Apple products and then something new comes out and they're like, well, wait, will I be able to use it? And even as long as Apple has been doing this, that stuff still exists. And I think those feelings exist because of Apple's unwillingness to be as communicative as some of us would like to be. And this is an example for which they deserve praise of them getting out in front and saying, we've got some great stuff for you. Take a look. I think the bar has, has been raised too, in many ways. I mean, I'm, I'm, gosh, I hate to say this. I'm a little older. Um, and so, you know, I remember that when things used to come out, Apple or otherwise, the, the big question was, well, I have to choose the thing that's accessible. And now sort of the, the landscape has changed. I can choose the thing first, just like any other consumer. Right. And my, my judge is going to be sort of how, how accessible is that thing that I want to choose, you know? And it's interesting to me because, um, I see the disappointment, um, when some of the things come out and they're not fully accessible. And I think, but you know, years ago, back in my day, you know, 
we wouldn't have even thought about getting this because the likelihood that it even might be partially accessible would be so low that we would just sort of shrug it off. And so it's, it's kind of amazing to me and in a good way that although there is a lot of frustration and I agree, I think in part it's because, you know, Apple doesn't always transparently communicate some of this stuff for, for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I think it's amazing that we can have these conversations and that you can get a device that may not be perfect, but at least is to some degree accessible. And in contrast to, you know, years ago when a device might come out and you may never get accessibility for it, or you might be totally dependent on some third party to develop some accessibility solution, which would cost a lot of money and which they might discontinue at any time and which they might release, you know, well after the device had been released, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so hate that there's still frustration, but love that the frustrations have, have changed in our, uh, in a very different way. I'm personally so confident about Apple's prioritization of, of inclusion that myself as a blind person as well, I'm looking forward to Apple glasses. And I think that I'll be able to be part of that when they come out, you know, at launch, there will be something, whether it's 80% of the functionality or whatever it is, there's, they're going to be very useful and I'm going to be able to be part of that. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Everything they do, I think speaks to how much they prioritize accessibility. So yeah, these announcements are no surprise to me whatsoever. And they're super cool. Yeah. I feel the same way about the glasses. And I said, so when we started talking about LiDAR with uh, iOS 14 and iPhone 12 Pro last year, because even as recently as when the Apple Watch was introduced, I was skeptical of what accessibility there would be. And they had voiceover and they had accessibility features. Obviously, it's grown over the years. But now with the glasses, which they haven't announced, of course, but which we all think are coming, uh, yeah, my confidence level is really high. I always love finding new podcasts. It's one of my very favorite things. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, check out The Inside Track with resident car guy, Carrie LaBelle. The show features interviews with industry experts, insiders, and analysts, covering long-term trends, evolving expectations of consumers, and the effects of technology advancements on industry strategies. Each show includes a bunch of segments, including AI and BI use in automotive manufacturing, Connected Vehicles, Cloud Simulation, and Intelligent Infrastructure. Past guests include people from Audi, Toyota, Anata, Ansys, and SBD Automotive. I listened to uh, several episodes of Inside Track, but the one that got me was one on cloud simulation because there's so much involved in making cars and figuring out how they're going to operate on uh, the roads of the future. And I think the episode gave a pretty good overview of how uh, folks are thinking about that. So it was really interesting. Even if you're not a car person from a sort of technical, scientific perspective, it was pretty cool. Go and listen to it now. Just search for The Inside Track wherever you get podcasts or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to The Inside Track and Microsoft for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Let's dig into some of these features. Let's start with assistive touch, which is assistive touch for the Apple Watch will make it possible for someone who has difficulty touching or manipulating the screen on the watch to use clench gestures with their hands and their fingers to accomplish those tasks. Just very quickly, assistive touch on the phone is not that now. Assistive touch is basically a menu on screen that gives you access to things like swipes and double taps and, and other gestures that are difficult for somebody who has certain motor disabilities. And you can create the, the menu that has the functions on it that you want to replace those gestures. But it doesn't have anything like this, which on the Apple Watch is going to use... Uh, uh, the, the accelerometer and the gyroscope to make it possible to interpret those those clinching gestures uh, as commands for the Apple Watch. So, so what do you guys think about this thing? This is amazing. I think it's really good, and we can all turn this on. Like I said earlier, to it, when you are um, when you've activated it, and I guess you have to have your strap relatively tight because you know it needs to be able to detect the flexing the different um gestures so there's a fist clench there's a pinch which is the thumb and forefinger and there's a shake of the wrist and they were saying things like 
you get a call, you can double clench your fist to answer and hang up the call. How cool is that? We can all do that. If you want to, um, if there isn't a call that's ringing, but you want to be able to get a pointer on your screen, you can double clench your fist and then you can tilt your watch in different directions and the arrow will move, the pointer will move to that part of the screen and then another single clench will click or will tap that item. And they gave loads of other examples as well. So this is amazing. Don't you think this is really cool? It's great. And there is a video online that does a tremendous job of sort of showing how this works. Because, yeah, Robin, you're right. Anybody can use this. And I may or may not choose to. I mean, just the way I can use voice control, even though I don't have a motor disability, I can use this clench thing as much or as little as I want to, as much or as little as it is inconvenient for me as somebody who is, is able to use physical gestures just fine. You know, I'm I'm super excited about this, and I I don't have a motor disability either. But there has been so many there have been so many times where I'll have something on my hands, and and then Apple Music will decide to play some terrible song, and I either have to try to yell at Siri to get it to skip it, or I have to touch my AirPods with my yucky hands and get whatever all over it. How cool would it be to just clench my fist? And jump to the next track or the previous track or, um, you know, move my wrist to reject a a phone call. Um, You know, there's so many use cases for this for everyone. And it's it's a phenomenal uh, example of how this is really going to benefit everyone, not just people with motor disabilities. But it, you know, again, comes about because of a particular need and is innovative in a way that, you know, we might all be doing that. That might be the norm at some point. Um, for for everyone to interact with their watch, at least to some degree, or with other iOS devices. The thing about Apple is that they are very conservative. So, you know, on the AirPods, I don't have the Pros, so I only have two gestures, like a double tap and a triple tap. So they're very keen not to give you too many choices, just in case it sort of reduces the optimal experience, you know, and it kind of misrecognizes a quadruple tap or something if they offered that. But when you turn on the accessibility features, all of Apple's conservative um, allowing you, you know, what you can do and what you can't do kind of goes out the window. So with assistive touch, you can do loads of custom gestures. You can go wild with what you want to put in that menu. You can attach a switch, which could be any different kind of shape or size, but you could just, you know, either use a Bluetooth one or you could plug one into the lightning port and then you could use that to fire off those. So you can really let your imagination go wild. On the watch, I doubt if they'll ever let people, you know, assign a a wrist shake to a skip track or a hang up call or whatever, because, you know, that could too easily be triggered, but make it an accessibility feature, allow the person to turn it on and assign whatever gestures that are now available through that sort of suite of accessibility features to whatever they want to do, because why not? You've got an accessibility requirement. You know, you need to be able to optimize it exactly for your requirements. And all of that um, caution goes out of the window. So, you know, the accessibility features really do allow you to open up a lot of power that wouldn't otherwise be allowed because they want to try and control the experience as much as possible. So yeah, have a play. I'm looking forward to what we'll be allowed to do and you know how much fun we can have with it. I know that sounds awful because for a lot of people, this is going to be the first time they'll be able to use an Apple Watch. But you know, for us, we can optimize our experience as well. You know, it's exciting though about what you just said is that, you know, I think oftentimes these accessibility features come out and we think, oh, that's going to be great for that group of people. You know, that's going to be great for blind people or that's going to be great for, you know, people uh, who are in wheelchairs or whatever the case may be. But something like this comes out and we're all excited about it, you know, for for whatever reasons. Right. Like we can all be excited together instead of saying this is just going to it's going to be really cool for those people. But it's probably not something I'm going to use this type of thing comes out and we're all jazzed about it, you know, and that's going to make a huge difference for, um, you know, the people who need it. And it's going to be super exciting for those of us who may not quote need it, but who are just excited about the possibilities of, of what we can do with it. I think you're right that when you jump into the accessibility world, there is a different level of ability to sort of play around and be experimental. I also think this kind of thing, portends what you could do with other wearables. And Apple, 
Also, I'm sure that when they put an accessibility feature out, and of course they make sure that it's reliable and appropriate for the disability it's targeted at, but they're also learning from how it's used and how well it works. And these are the kinds of gestures, a hand gesture or a wrist gesture, that if they were possible to do it in a reliable way and not accidentally trigger it, that you would want for a pair of glasses or some other kind of wearable device. So if if folks who use assistive touch can both get some value out of it and perhaps be guinea pigs for, for that kind of feature. I think it's a win for everyone. Definitely. Let's talk about eye tracking, shall we? This is one where, as we said in the beginning, people who haven't been able to use iOS devices, and specifically iPadOS, because that's what the press release says, will be able to or should be able to use iPads that have not. Uh, so, and I gave the example of, of uh, there's someone I know who is a Mac user and he uses a head-mounted device to communicate with his Mac. It's called iGaze technology. These are expensive devices, but it allows somebody who doesn't have use of their, their hands or even in some cases their voice to control what's going on on the Mac screen. And it's available for other computer platforms as well, but it's never been available on the iOS platform. And so with eye tracking, uh, what Apple says is that they will support third-party devices that allow you to use eye tracking, eye gaze technology, on iPad OS. So there are people out there who have never been able to use iOS. We, we as blind people got to use iOS a couple of years after the first iPhone was developed, and we thought we had to wait a long time. But that's nothing to somebody who isn't able to physically touch the keyboard or the or the or the uh, pardon me who isn't able to physically touch the screen or to use voice control. Uh, There's nothing to how long they've waited. So this is really an exciting development. Definitely, really, really good. The ability to just be able to move your eyes around the screen and blink to click. There's various ways that you can assign a click. And that goes back to the switch control that I talked about before. The charity that I work for is all about making sure that regardless of your disability, and often there's there's multiple disabilities involved, um, you have exactly the right solution for yourself so that you can, you know, get the most out of the technologies that you're using and ideally get the most out of, you know, education, the workplace, that sort of thing. And those switches could be in a million different shapes or forms, but the um, other accessibility feature that they announced as well about sound actions, sound, what's it called? Sound, sound actions for switch control is another brilliant layer to it. So not only um, can you, for example, blink your eyes with eye gaze to select something, but you can now, any one of us can turn this on, be able to tap something with a, a click of your mouth, for example, or um, start a drag with saying the word pop, or assigning another feature by saying the E sound. Those were the three that they mentioned. Um, but yeah, so you can um, turn that on and depending on you know what you'd like to assign that to, we could also be now controlling our devices by just clicking our tongue, for example, and sending that tap or whatever it is that we've assigned it to, to the, you know, to the device. So really, really powerful when you start layering all of these together. I think it's, it's great and it, wonderful. And it's going to make a huge difference to people who've not been able to use iOS before. I mean, I just thought, I just want to reach out and welcome them to the uh, iOS platform. It's fantastic. Um, and I'm, I'm glad now that, you know, they'll be able to do everything that the rest of us have been able to do for a while. Um, the other thing that is really exciting to me as someone who just loves innovation is that Apple has essentially said here, let's build a device that is a touch screen device that you interact with touch everything we do is touch. There's not going to be buttons on it. It's all going to be about touch, but wait, let's now make it work for people who don't touch it. So, you know, it's this idea of setting out to do one thing and then the exact opposite, trying to figure out, you know, how do we include people that are not going to use this thing in the way we absolutely intend it to be used? You know, they're, 
uh, iPhone and, and all of the iOS devices all about, they all presume you can touch the screen. And now what Apple has done is said, but what if you can't? How do you use this device that we have totally built around the, the premise that people are going to touch it? How do we make it work for people that are not going to touch it? And out of that, they've innovated this, you know, this, uh, this new ways of, of interacting. And I, that just fascinates me. It's, it's the idea of challenge, whatever your sort of preconception of, uh, is of something totally challenge it, think about it totally upside down and see where that can lead in terms of, of innovation. And sometimes the order in which they do things becomes fascinating later on because a couple of years ago they created voice control. One of the features of voice control is that you can create areas on your screen that are indicated by a number. And so the idea is you can speak that number and something will happen at that area on the screen. You know what that makes possible? It makes possible for an eye tracking device to locate that part of the screen by number and interact with it. Just as switch control functions by using the ability to select parts of the screen that voiceover does. So so what they say about apps is if it supports voiceover, it supports switch control because it's using because switch control is is automating the scanning process that we do when we run our fingers across the screen with voiceover on to hear what the text tells us. And so there's something really intentional and really organized about the way Apple chooses to to roll these things out. And they're sort of layer like a like an onion. You know, voice control is great. I absolutely love voice control, but it assumes you have a voice, right? That it assumes you can speak, that you're um, vocal, and that you are able to speak clearly enough for voice control to understand you. What if you're not? How do you use voice control, right? And this is sort of the answer to that. So as they go around and around and come up with these different technologies, it's fascinating to me how they sort of layer on top. It's like the ultimate onion. Let's talk about features that I know you guys are going to use and have worked with certainly a little bit already. Uh, Steve, you're a hearing aid user. And so I know you're excited about what Apple's doing uh, with support for bidirectional hearing aids and being able to use audiograms. So why don't, why don't you just talk about that? And I know you and Robin have worked together on some of this stuff. So, so why don't you just talk about what Apple's doing and what, what you're looking forward to? Well, you know, it's it, there are a certain type of hearing aid called MFI or, or made for iPhone. And these hearing aids adhere to some sort of standard that uh, allows them to work directly with uh, iOS. And there's been a few issues with MFI hearing devices. One of the big ones, though, is that if you are a hearing aid user, um, your audio that comes through your iOS device can stream to your hearing aids. That's great. That uh, makes it much easier to use, much easier to hear phone calls and that sort of stuff. However, even though your hearing aids have microphones, the audio doesn't go through those microphones. So your audio goes through the device microphone. So if you're, if you're on a phone call, for example, you hear it through the hearing aids, but when you talk, it's your device's microphone that picks up the conversation. So it's almost as if you're on speaker. So the other person... Uh, you know, to, to the other person, you might sound kind of far away. They might hear other room noise. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not a great experience given that these hearing aids have microphones. So it's only been one directional. I think there's probably a technical word for that, uh, whatever it is. But anyway, it only works <laughs> unidirectional. That's what it is. <laughs> it's not been bi-directional. Now, I do want to call out, there have been other hearing aid manufacturers that have integrated bi-directional support for their devices. The concept isn't new. Uh, Phonak hearing aids have integrated this, but those are not made for iPhones. So they're supporting it through um, their own third-party app and that sort of thing. So anyway, Apple is finally allowing MFI hearing aid manufacturers to uh, implement bi-directional support so that in when, if you're on a phone call, uh, the audio from your hearing aid microphones can be used to pick you up instead of having to depend on your device microphone. So people will sound better when they're on those calls. So it's great that that's happening. The uh, other part has to do with audiograms, and that is um, there is a feature in iOS called headphone accommodations, where if you have is it AirPod 
is I don't know if it's all AirPods or is it just AirPod Pro? All AirPods models and some Beats models too. If you have those, uh, you can have iOS sort of tune your audio settings so that it'll sound better based on your particular hearing profile. Um, the challenge is getting it tuned so that it sounds as good as possible. If you've gone to an audiologist, you may have been given an audiogram, which is sort of the uh, chart that they're able to produce based on your hearing test. And so now if you have that audiogram, you'll be able to uh, import it into iOS and then iOS will be able to take that and fine tune your audio settings based on that audiogram. So it's, uh, if you have an audiogram, uh, it'll, it'll be able to fine tune your audio so that it'll sound really good to you. I've played around with this a bit um, and it is really amazing. It really is incredible how it's, uh, what a difference it does make. So this is available now, even in iOS 14? Well, now you have to use an app to produce the, the audiogram within iOS. So it is in iOS 14 if you use some sort of a hearing test app. And we've all probably done hearing tests where you hear a tone and you push the button when you're able to hear the tone and then they play you a different pitch tone. It's, it's an app like that. And so you go through and you do the test and when the test is complete, it will generate an audiogram for you in iOS. And so you can take that audiogram and use it with headphone accommodations today. That works right now. The problem is that if you go to an audiologist, they have better equipment and they have equipment that's really fine tuned. And of course, the audiologist uh, generally has a soundproof booth where you do your, your hearing test. So their results are probably going to be a little bit more accurate than my results if I do this just using my AirPods uh, with my kids in the background or something, right? So the idea is that while you can do it now, the challenge is how do you get that audiogram from a third party, like the audiologist, how do you get that into iOS? So that's kind of the big change is that you'll be able to uh, import the audiogram from, from like an audiologist or you know, someone else into iOS versus trying to generate it uh, within iOS. Now from, I'm on the other side, which is that my kids keep teasing me about the fact that I can't hear things, particularly the higher pitch things like crickets in the meadows and stuff like that. But um, I am not as um, in Steve's position where I've had to get hearing aids and go to an audiologist or anything. But, you know, as a blind person, and I'm sure Steve agrees with this, you do not, you know, you value your hearing big time. So I would definitely recommend if you're of a certain age or you've listened to a lot of loud music and you suspect that there might be something a little bit, um, you know, less than optimal with your hearing, that what you would now do, as Steve said, you just get an app. And the one that I use from the app store is called Mimi, M-I-M-I quick hearing check and it's free and whilst it's not ideal as long as you're in a quiet place and you're using the approved headphones which you know in my case it's just the standard airpods but the app requires that you have the right headphones the supported ones it requires that the um iPhone's volume is at 50% or it complains so you can only run the test under the conditions of the app knowing about the kind of um, frequency response and quality of your headphones and the fact that you've got it at a certain volume. And as Steve says, you can then, you know, go up and down the pitches and take your finger off when you think that last gasp of tone has gone in that particular frequency. And yes, the audiogram isn't going to be ideal. But for me, as someone that's very new to this, you know, what's my hearing loss? How bad is it kind of thing? The the result was on one level alarming. It said, you know, I'm 50 and it said your hearing is worse than 95% of people in your age, of your age. Oh, no. So that's a bit depressing. But <laughs> at the same time, what it then does is so you save that audiogram that it creates to the health app and then you import that into headphone accommodations, as Steve was saying. And as long as you've got the right AirPods, whatever flavor that is, or the right Beats headphones, then you suddenly change your 50-year-old hearing to a 15-year-old's again. And there's a toggle there for um, 
kind of vo vocal range and for media. And you can toggle those on and off within the hearing accommodations. And you, you can see very, very clearly the difference that you can, you know, that, you, that it makes to both of those instances. And I've got those both toggled on and leave them on all the time. If you are listening to music, for example, and you turn off the, the media one, then everything's suddenly muddy, you've got no high frequencies. I had no idea I was hearing stuff like that because I had nothing to compare it to. I had 50-year-old hearing. And you toggle it on and wow, okay, there are three times as many instruments in this orchestra because it gives you a sample to listen to. Um, so I would really, really strongly recommend everyone that's listening to this, of us beyond a certain age maybe, to just have a play with that You've probably got all the equipment that you need and you will revolutionise your hearing experience from your eye devices. Now, if you then want to translate that into how the rest of the world sounds, then you're going to have to either walk around with your AirPods Pro or Max in transparency mode all the time with that audiogram EQ applied, or you're going to have to get MFI uh, hearing aids like Steve has and I'll probably have to go there one day. And I have to say this, this is the feature that encouraged me to get MFI hearing aids, honestly, because I, I did this when I heard about it. It might, it was probably on accessibility. I don't remember. And I thought, well, this is this again, being the skeptic, this seems really gimmicky. It's kind of stupid. It can't really work. It, obviously it's not good as, as hearing aids, which cost thousands of dollars, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I went ahead and tried it because, you know, I, figured why not and i was shocked i was amazed how much different things were able to sound through my airpods once i had finished um the the hearing test and had things fine-tuned and that you know when i heard the difference that really kind of made me start thinking geez if i'm getting that much difference out of my airpods um you know, what kind of difference would I get if I really do get hearing aids and I have someone who kind of knows what they're doing, uh, tune them, you know, versus me just kind of doing it between meetings or something. And, you know, it, it kind of encouraged me to look at the possibilities. And when I went, I, I wasn't necessarily convinced that hearing aids were going to be the best direction for me, or, and I, you know, I certainly wasn't convinced that I wanted to spend the money on them, but just, kind of knowing what was possible with what I already had really started make me wonder, you know, what's possible with what I don't yet have, you know, is this a step maybe I do want to take? So I'm, I'm very grateful that, uh, I'll give Robin the credit. I'm pretty sure he mentioned it to me. Uh, <laughs> and you know, that sent me down this path. I, um, otherwise would probably not have gotten hearing aids because when I did get a hearing test a while ago, audiologist said, you know, you have some hearing loss, but it's not really severe enough for hearing aids. And I said, well, that's probably true for the general public. But as someone who's blind, I depend on my hearing a lot. So while that loss isn't, quote, significant, to me it is because I'm using my hearing for so many things. And so that loss is a big deal. But I felt like I failed. Like, you know, darn, my hearing is too good to get hearing aids. And yet I was having a lot of trouble following conversations and stuff, especially in like a, you know, crowded restaurant or at a conference or whatever. It was a real struggle for me. And I felt like, you know, I, I couldn't do anything, you know, I'm, I'm not bad enough yet. And so when I did this headphone thing, it made me really kind of revisit that. And it was great that, cause I knew that, you know, even if I didn't get anywhere with the, you know, the professionals, I had a solution that would at least work. I mean, this partially as a joke, but partially for real. So, so AirPods all of a sudden become a value proposition because they're a lot cheaper than hearing aids yep. yeah. <laughs> and, and you will get some benefit of it. And it's actually interesting because I know people are a lot of times resistant to getting hearing aids, whether it's because of vanity or fear of aging or of some other cause. And it's interesting that if you have a solution like this where you can learn hearing loss in your own life, but not just by looking at an audiogram, by actually hearing the difference and just with AirPods that you already have, that that could send you down, send you along a journey that says, well, hearing aids might be the next step and maybe you'll be a little less resistant to it. And if you have a little bit of time, then you can 
you know, address the financial issues because, as I say, they're they're not inexpensive. But the fact that they there's more capability now with MFI hearing aids, just it encourages you to to go down that route as well because you actually have a better experience connecting your hearing aid with a device you're already using than just simply adding a hearing aid to your life. And the thing about MFI, I mean, MFI spans a lot of other, you know, peripherals as well, not just associated with disability by any means, but is that that program has meant that those, they meet a certain requirement, you know, in the case of hearing aids, a certain, um, they're a known quantity as far as Apple are concerned. They know the frequency response and the, you know, maximum volume, et cetera, the um, capabilities of the firmware. For that particular model, all of the models that are MFI hearing aids have all got, you know, different capabilities, different um, properties, and Apple knows them, and they will factor that in to um, applying that audiogram, for example. So, you know, it's taken the known quantity, the known universe of Apple, all Apple products like Apple, you know, the AirPods, I've just got the standard ones, as I've mentioned, and that, you know, it absolutely works with that to um, third party and it still maintains that quality and that comes back to what we were saying earlier about how they, the eye on detail the attention to consistency um, a consistently good experience for people regardless of their impairment or needs you know app, that's apple all over so yeah i hope i'm not sounding too pro apple but when you're disabled it's really quite difficult not to be <laughs> Very, very enthusiastic about Apple. Well, we could still be skeptics when it's appropriate. I mean, they 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 do some great stuff, and we've talked about a lot of it. But but uh, healthy skepticism, I'm I'm still going to you know maintain that, and I'm sure Steve will as well. <laughs> but, Heck yeah, but, <laughs> I'm too old to change now. <laughs> right. I'm too far the other way. I'm Maybe. sure. Yeah. Well, let's go back to, uh, and I say go back just because I scrolled down the press release. Uh, but let's go. Let's go back to uh, voiceover related changes that Apple has made, and these aren't as revolutionary. And that's not a criticism. That's just sort of putting these in context. Voiceover has had a feature called image recognition. They enhanced it significantly in iOS 14, and the idea is that you can hold your phone out and have the scene as seen by the camera described to you uh, using machine learning, and they've enhanced image recognition because it's it's one thing to see that there's a red car on the street or that there's a, you know, a, a pair of glasses on the table, but it's another thing to actually get useful information from image recognition. And there's also text recognition, so you have been able to read the contents of, of text documents. But they've enhanced image recognition. A a couple of the examples they gave are the ability to sort of parse a receipt, so so a tabular formatted thing. It'll it will it'll read that to you so that you can interpret it while you're you're paying your bill at a restaurant, for example, or if somebody hands you a receipt at a store and you want to check it in real time. It also talks about uh, being able to recognize people, which is something, or not recognize them, but to identify people and where they are in a scene, which is something that. LiDAR-capable phones got in iOS 14, so I'm not exactly clear on how image recognition is enhancing this. And then also, by virtue of this image recognition feature, uh, a person who's blind or visually impaired can use the markup app that's already in iOS to annotate their own uh, photos, which is great. So instead of just having, okay, here's a photo with three faces in it, you can say, well, this is mom and dad and sister. And I think that's where the the uh, describing where things are in the scene comes into play, because when I go through the photos that we have, you know, it'll say three people containing, you know, Mark, Gabby and Steve or something, my kids and myself. But it doesn't say like who's standing where. Right. So, you know, this will give I'm hoping at least this will give additional context to, you know, where where is where are people within that photo? What are they doing? Are they standing in a certain way? Are they posing a certain way? Um, you know, all of that stuff is sort of missing in the current iteration. And so that, that could be a lot of fun and really just kind of give us more access to, you know, what is a very visual medium, which is exciting. And at the moment, whilst it can give you that summary of the 
image, the image is still considered one block and you can't interrogate with your finger inside that, you know, rectangle. Other apps can do that. There's a really good one from Microsoft called Seeing AI. It's free. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's implying anyway that once you've taken that picture, you can explore with your finger. And as you move over different elements in the photo, you can see, you know, you can, oh, okay, Mark's on the left, Gabby's in the middle. Um, so yeah, I think it will kind of, as your finger roams over items, whatever they might be, anything that's recognisable within that image, um, you know, so you can kind of explore and see, oh, okay, this is how the photo was arranged. This is right. How there's a, there's a screenshot in the press release and it's, it's only one person in the screenshot, but the person takes up a small fraction of the photo and there's a selection rectangle around the person and not just their head, but around their whole body, which is, it's sort of a, a good demonstration of that. It reminds me of Facebook image recognition. If you've ever, if you have, if you have vision and you've ever seen a Facebook page where there are a bunch of people in a photo and it will have squares around each face. And if it has a guess as to who that person is, it will have a hover text that will tag it. And so this just seems like that, but smarter because it's not just recognizing the face. It's saying this, this is a body. This part of the photo is where this person is. And once who the people in your photos are known to your phone, which has already been possible, I assume that you would be able to go over a new photo that already, that, where, where you've identified those people and say, look, that's Mark and that's Gabby and that's Steve and Mark is on the left in that photo. And being able to identify individual elements in a photograph is brilliant for us, but also it will work for everyone else as well. So I'm sure there will be options at some point in the future where you can say, okay, look through my photo library and grab all of the pictures of Gabby or all of the pictures of the dog and crop that yep. so that I now get an album of you know, just that person front and centre. And, you know, there might be a bit of photo around it, but that's all I'm interested in, that sort of thing, you know. So um, there's wins for everyone when you start layering on this ability to get more information about these different uh, objects, whether it's a photo or whether it's, you know, the audio that you're playing, to be able to analyse it and customise it in the way that will help not only disabled people, but everyone as well. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've always avoided the markup tools because I've never really been able to to make sense of them with my low vision or to feel like I was doing something effective with them. But it's it's for people who who use them, I think it's a pretty powerful part of their iOS experience with photos. And this seems like it offers an option. I wonder, because PDFs from a file structure point of view are so similar to photos, whether we might have more access to PDFs than we do. That's just a speculation on my part. And especially since they talk about being able to take something like a photo of a receipt and being able to interpret it and scan it as, as a table, that is the same thing. You're, you're basically taking apart that image and, and putting it into and organizing it into parts that can be read or interpreted with voiceover. There are a few other things that, that Apple did. Uh, one of them, and I, I think some people weren't really necessarily thinking of this as an accessibility feature, and Apple is, is actually very good about teasing things out that have accessibility implications that aren't specifically aimed at accessibility. Uh, they've added background sounds, so a lot of people use white noise or rain or something like that to help them sleep. Uh, Apple points out correctly that some people with disabilities can use background sounds to to calm them or help them if they have a too heavy a cognitive load at a particular time. And so Apple has added some background sounds and made them more integral to, to the OS, which I think is a great thing. The thing here, I mean, there are lots of apps like Calm, um, you know, that can create any number of uh, white noise or brown noise or cafe sounds or, you know, beach sounds or whatever. But it's going to only ever be taking up that media stream you're not gonna you know it's, you, you can't then do something else you make that nice and quiet and then you know listen to some music or be on a call or something on top so this yeah integrates in such a low level that you can just have it going on it'll never be interrupted um you can just use your phone for media or whatever it is you're going to be using in the completely normal way and this will just always be there in the background, which is what someone who has that, you know, like you say, the cognitive challenge that you have with um, 
being in a relatively noisy environment in an office or something to be able to alleviate that to a certain extent with the noise of their choice is, you know, you want it to be there all the time. So, yeah, attention to detail. Another feature that is potentially really interesting for me personally is the ability to choose uh, font sizes with it for on a per app basis. Apple has had dynamic type for a long time so that if a developer supports it, you can uh, change the relative type size. It's not saying I can choose a particular font size, but it's changing the relative type size within all of your apps and within iOS so that everything appears the size that's easier for you. But there's some cases in which you want to vary that. In a, in a reading app, you might want larger or smaller text in a an app where you're actually having to move around the screen quite a bit, you might want it smaller because the text kind of gets in the way of understanding what's on the screen. So this will allow you on an app-by-app basis to make those choices. I have questions about how integrated that is with dynamic type and whether apps have to support dynamic type in order to use this because there are still a lot of apps that do not support dynamic type that that Apple doesn't make. Apple's own apps support it really well. I can think, for example, of, of several apps I'd, that, that Apple makes that I'd want to control. I don't need my emails to be at really large sizes uh, or my text messages because text 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 is already so is already bigger. And so if I can shrink it down a little bit, I can get more text on a single page. Uh, but but as far as the third party apps, I'm I'm not really clear on whether this is going to be an additional level of flexibility versus dynamic type or whether it's tied to dynamic type. But I'm, I'm still intrigued. I'm looking forward to it. This is not a software feature, but on Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Apple announced a program called Sign Time, which provides access to interpreters for uh, Apple Care customers, which is great. So th- this is this feels like something that had to have benefited from the pandemic because nobody's going into Apple stores and more people are used to uh, interacting with other people on internet-based video. And so now when you want to contact AppleCare, uh, you can connect with a person with an interpreter. And interpreter services, by the way, are not... uh, are, not, are often not free, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and I think that's really important. And I think people assume, and they've maybe they've seen public meetings with little uh, inset pictures of interpreters in the bottom right corner. That that doesn't come for free. That is a skill for which people who organize events pay. And so what Apple is doing is, in in some cases in Washington D.C., where Gallaudet University, which, which is a university uh, that serves deaf uh, students, is they will have live interpreters in their Apple stores. Uh, they will in if you're if you're online, you'll be able to or if you're in another Apple store where they don't have this service, you'll be able to get it online, which is great. So that means that, that Apple is prepared to hire enough interpreters to give access to its deaf customers. They will support American Sign Language, British Sign Language, and I believe several other sign language variances around the world, variants around the world, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah. Until we get to the point where an avatar can do it as well as a human, but it's much more than just what's in the hands. So we're not there yet. Right. Anything else that uh, struck you guys from what Apple announced uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day? Oh, when is it all going to happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> like now, you know, because they were sort of vague in the press release. They were like, you know, throughout the year or something. So. I forget exactly how they phrased it, but my thought was, is it all going to come in one update? Later this year. But when? When is later? I want later now. It's been later. It's been like a week already. Right. A whole week. When you talk about detail in Apple, you have to talk about their communication strategy, too, because... Apple is so smart. They give you this, and most people are interpreting this as, well, when iOS 15 comes out. Apple hasn't acknowledged that there's an iOS 15. We know there's going to be. We know that there's a worldwide developer conference in a couple of weeks where they're going to tell us all about it, but they're not telling us yet. Yeah. So, will it all come in iOS 15? Will it be f- sort of slowly phased in? It, it's kind of going to be interesting to see... Um, well, some are dependent on the OS more than others, right? I mean, and you could even have them, you could have assistive touch sooner if you had a watch update that was 
available before iOS 15 was. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. And the audiogram thing, I mean, you're saying that there's already some of this stuff available to you uh, in iOS 14. And the question is, do you have to wait for iOS 15 in order to get the full benefit of the bidirectional hearing aids? Maybe, maybe not. I feel like we should complete the set by talking about Memojis, a few additional Memojis where it um, depicts someone with uh, an oxygen tube, a cochlear implant, for example. So for people for whom that is a kind of a significant part of who they are, then now that can be reflected in the, your choice of Memoji as well. So that's the full set. And there's no reason at all why something like that couldn't come out on day exactly. one, don't you think? Yep, I agree. So another thing that they announced, and, and this is sort of my tendency to be a, a filterer and a, uh, a and to, to sort of pri privilege um, things that are new in the software as opposed to things that are rearranged, but the uh, shortcuts library now has a a bunch of accessibility focused shortcuts, and they've had accessibility sections before, but I think now they've introduced shortcuts that have specific accessibility connotations like reminders to take your medication or to, to organize your medications. And, and again, a, a lot of disability is not about medical conditions, but a lot of it is. So uh, it's it's worth, I think, going into the shortcuts library and, and looking for those accessibility uh, focused shortcuts. Well, let's see. That's that's enough to be getting on with, as they say. Uh, I, I really appreciate you guys coming and talking with me about all of these new accessibility features. Uh, it, it's exciting to see what's coming uh, from WWDC, which will be the next episode that people will hear about a week after this one. But so let me close. Uh, this will be the, the, the one more thing question, and I didn't give Steve or Robin time to prepare, so, you know, st uh, stammer and stutter as need be. But I, I guess I'm wondering, uh, what's one thing in addition to what we've just seen that, that you'd like to see from WWDC, whether it has to do with accessibility or not. So the invites for WWDC may or may not have indicated Apple glasses. If they did, then whoopee! That for me, you know, I don't have an iPhone 12 with LiDAR. Um, I would like to be able to mosey around the world with LiDAR at my, you know, as my right-hand man. Um, telling me that I'm socially distanced from people, telling me that the tree branch is about to smack me in the head because guide dogs are fantastic, but their upper body work isn't perfect. So, yep, those um, kind of kink... Uh, uh, let me see what... <laughs> um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What do you call those things with the cycles where you go through in a kind of a funny... Because the bars are kind of a weave thing like a chicane oh those, those zigzaggy line yeah. things and those um zigzaggy chicanes but those bars where you have to weave through with your um pushchair or bicycle you know y you can easily just walk straight through those with a dog and get them in your stomach so i'm really looking forward to apple glass that will offer something for blind people so yeah um it's not an accessibility uh, product per se but it will have an impact for us. So that might be a cheating answer, but you know, we've only got a week to find out. Who knows? Might as well. I, I don't think it's cheating at all. Steve, what do you want? Well, you know, now I want Apple glasses. I, I just didn't <laughs> talk about it. And I got to say, I, I did not get the iPhone 12 with LiDAR. I got the mini. So mine doesn't have the LiDAR because again, I thought, well, I don't know what we're going to do with LiDAR and I don't see any use for that. It's all about augmented reality, blah, blah, blah. And so immediately <laughs> Apple made some accessibility stuff around LiDAR as have other apps. And I thought I should have got the phone with the LiDAR. So anyway, glasses, I'm not going to be pessimistic. I'm going to hope they exist. I'm going to probably get them if they do. And uh, just as, as Robin said, I, th I think it's amazing to potentially have this sort of assistance without requiring an internet connection, that if this can be available on device and you don't have to worry that, geez, what if I lose my connection or... Um, you know, something like that, then I lose access to the service. This, you know, the, the potential for this and the ramifications of it, I think are absolutely huge and I'm super excited about it. So I hope they come to fruition and I hope I still have enough credit on my Apple card so I can buy them whenever they come out. See, here's the trouble. This is my year to get 
a new phone. And I actually delayed it a year because I had review units of the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro for a while. And so I got to play with LiDAR. I had to send it back. But I decided this is going to be the year when I was going to get a phone. And if they come out with glasses, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because <laughs> I'm going to feel like I want both of them. And so Apple is starting to come out with features that require an, at least an iPhone 12 level product, like the ability to uh, locate your AirTags precisely. And I have exactly one AirTag, but I would probably be inclined to get more <laughs> if I had a device that would put arrows on my screen and point right to them and, and all of that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it, it does feel like uh, this is the year of buying new Apple stuff. You're welcome, Apple. Uh, Robin Christofferson, where can people find you on the internet? So, um, Twitter, it's USA number two day. Don't ask. I'm obviously not American. Um, USA Today, long story. So we've been talking Apple for an hour. Um, but I happen to, as well as being on the Mac Accessibility podcast, which is definitely Apple related, I have two that are a lady related, the Amazon Echoes. One's called Dot to Dot. It's a daily podcast. We're up to episode 1585. Haven't missed a day. Uh, all about skill demos and built-in functionality. And there's a weekly version of that called The Echo Show, which is a show about echoes, not about echo shows uh, only. And that's with my co-host, the brilliant Sean Priest. So um, please check out Dot to Dot and The Echo Show. I'm going to have to have Sean on the show because every time you mention his name, you call him brilliant. And I, I've, met, I've met Sean a couple of times, well, online. I've been on shows with Sean a couple of times, but I've not had him on this show, so I have to do that. Yep. Steve, what about you? Where can people find you online? Well, on the Twitter, I am at Steve of Maine, Steve of M-A-I-N-E, like the state. Uh, or you can find me or contact me via my blog at steves.life, not .com or anything, just steves.life. I'm also on Maxessibility. If you follow that particular podcast, um, not always on it, but I'm on it as often as I can be. So that's probably the best way to find me. You can follow this podcast at Parallel Pods on Twitter. Also go to relay.fm slash parallel to subscribe and join Relay as a member because it's a good thing to do. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Shelly. Uh, you can hear me on most episodes of Maxisability, including the WWDC post-game show that we'll be doing, which is a week after this podcast comes out. So please uh, listen for that. And uh, spoiler alert, I'll also be doing a parallel episode uh, close to that time to sort of go over whatever Apple uh, announces for us at WWDC. So all of those are, we're very Apple-centric at this time of the year for some unknown reason. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in one week. Bye now.